The thunder last night was really loud. Same time, one week after that, 
is our all-family fellowship at Pearson Park. So we have the shelter house near the tennis courts there, near the playground, and we'll be out there uh, sharing fellowship, eating food, uh, that kind of thing. You'll hear more about it as far as what we need to bring and make sure we have everything as we get a little closer. A block out those dates and be prepared to spend some time together with the church family and do some exciting things, and that's coming fast. More to come. We have a, uh, the plan is yet, yet in May, uh, hopefully in May, we're having trouble picking a date, but either in May or in June to have our first Spiritual Gifts Fellowship, and it will surround the Spiritual Gift of Exhortation. So if you have the Spiritual Gift of Exhortation, then you are going to be invited to that to come, share in a meal, and talk about what that gift is, how to use that gift, and we're going to kind of polish each other, hopefully, and move that forward, okay? So that'll be coming up uh, yet in May or toward the beginning of June. And then at the end of June, we're going to, on the 28th of June, which is a Tuesday night, we're going to have a human trafficking event here on Tuesday night opposite Team Kid. And so Team Kid will go a half an hour longer that night, and uh, the leadership will uh, already committed to that, prepared for that, whatever. And in this room, we'll have a detective who is an SVU detective from, if you don't know what that is, it's okay. Uh, we'll talk about it later. But anyway, uh, that will be here that night to speak. And then also uh, a person from the Daughter Project, which is rescuing people from human trafficking. And then, and then I will speak, and the whole thing will take an hour and a half, so 6.30 to 8, ending with the last 15 minutes, light refreshments, like cookies and stuff like that and fruit in the cafeteria, or if we anticipate too many people, then we'll do that differently to make sure that we have space for everything. Okay? So that's coming up the end of June. And then July 4th, the night of July 4th, opposite the fireworks downtown on Main Street, Main Street in the Citizens Bank parking lot, unless something changes, we'll have our big block party again like we did last year. And again, that'll be promoted. And as you saw last year, we do have a lot of names to pull from potentially have people come out to our events and stuff like that and we share the gospel and we saw people getting saved or just professing Christ and so we'll be doing that and that's going to be a lot of fun when you stack it all up but it's also a lot of work and so we and as you can see we need uh, all our parts all our engine parts firing working together to get this done and I'm excited about that and if you're if the person are listening online or on the podcast and want to plug in and help we sure would love that but we really just need to honor God with these opportunities. So block those things out in your schedule. Prepare to spend some extra time before, during, and after those events to glorify God. I want to thank you to those of you who volunteer to invite folks who are looking for a new church home. Those We have sent out some of those, and there will be more. There's a lot of them, um, but we bet right now we're keeping up with every week from the New Heights Pantry, and then we'll also have folks in East Slido from the Life Station. So it's going to be a lot, and we'll just start kind of burning our way through them and catching up, and basically it's just inviting people to church. And so we've had some good experiences with that, some good stories, and uh, also some pretty happy prayer requests. Um, and so as I pray this morning to open our service, I'll be praying for a man named uh, Stephen Wodarski, who has been a client of the Life Station for years, off and on, and he is disabled. He has, uh, I, I, I would get it wrong to tell you, but it's his lungs that are messed up. It might be bad COPD or whatever, but he's, his lungs are messed up. And he's not real uh, physically able to do. And um, so he is technically disabled and currently homeless. And so we're praying for him this morning. And just remember, we are so blessed. If you're here, you're blessed beyond what you know, that's for sure. 
because you're in just the right place for God to force you this morning. Um, but some folks are disabled, and some folks are, are homeless, and some folks are hungry. And we want to try to do everything we can for them, and we're going to lift them up this morning in prayer. Okay? All right, so pray with me if you would. Pray along in your head or out loud in your seat or however the Lord leads you. And let's pray together. Jason, here we go. Father in heaven, I praise you and I thank you for our many blessings. You are a great giving God. You have showered down on us in our worst hour when we thought we were in our worst place ever. We realize now we were uh, your instruments of righteousness in a difficult time. That means we had things to do that were right in the, what we thought was the worst time. We were also being poured into by you. You were taking care of us. You were seeing us through. I think about the things I did before I got saved and how some of them led me to have questions, led me to be willing, led me to be the person that you could work in. You were at work from the moment I left the womb, even before. You wove everything together to be just right so that I could come into contact with you and you could save me. And that's true for every person in this room, saved or not. You have blessed us. You have given us so much. And we praise you for being that loving, giving Father that you are. At the same time, Lord, we confess to you that we have made mistakes and even true errors in judgment. We've pursued something, gone after something, loved something that wasn't you. We confess our weakness. Uh, maybe even today, Lord, we've done things that did not honor you. And we ask your forgiveness. We know that it's available because Jesus paid for it. Because the living word, which could never die, died and rose again. Because our God came and took on flesh. Because you would not stand for us being apart from you. And we are so grateful. And Lord, I thank you for the things that we have. Thank you for this place, the building, the chairs, the carpet, the muscle, the minds, the, the attitude, the perception, the youth, the strength. Uh, Lord, the encouragement, your Holy Spirit, salvation being available, the ability to praise you and sing. Even for those who feel like they can't, it's just not true. Lord, we just praise you in every way and thank you for all that you've done. Lord, we ask you for those who are hurting. There may be someone in this room right now who's hurting thinking about, man, there's that part of my life that isn't right. I need a solution. And I pray, Lord, that you will provide them the solution. And they will realize that, that the solution isn't the solution. It's the provider that's the solution. And so, Father, we ask you to... Work in us as you see fit and continue to bless your people and call us to yourself. We pray for Stephen this morning. Lord, he's homeless by his profession anyway and doesn't have a phone even. And so it's like we can't call him, can't even call him to encourage him. Um, but Lord, emailed me yesterday from the library. And I just pray, Lord, that you watch over him and provide for him. You've done it before. You miraculously intervened. And I know he might not be right, but Lord, we're all not right. He's not deserving. We're not asking you to do it because he's deserving. We're not asking you to do it because he's an awesome guy or kind of pretty or something like that. But we're asking you to do it because you are an awesome God. And then, Lord, we pray for our concerns and the concerns of our friends and our family. We pray rebuking human trafficking in our city. I'm so, I'm so sick and tired. I know it's necessary, but I'm so sick and tired of, tired of seeing those posts come up looking for this young person who just disappeared. Looking for this young person who's been missing now 48 hours. Lord, and I'm not afraid because you are God and you know exactly what's going on. But at the same time, I'm asking you to rebuke that in our city and across the world. I ask you to rebuke, Lord, this terrorism aspect where everybody's trying to make everybody else afraid so they'll buy this or that. Everybody's trying to make everybody else afraid so they'll do this or that. And that we could be bold, we could be real, 
and we could be serving you, shining our light as brightly as it could possibly shine, so that when they look, they'll see our God. Help us, Lord. And that this morning, that would play itself out in this place, praising you, singing songs, lifting up the name of our God. We pray we'll do that here today. Ask you, Lord. Hone us, focus us, and let us pay attention to the one thing in the entire universe that matters. And that's you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
everybody can come to the front. It's activity time. <laughs>
So last week I had a tiny little piece of paper like this, and this week I got two pages. I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense to me either, but here we go. So have you ever considered that uh, when you're in a difficult spot, you pray for what you need? Have you thought about that? Uh, I'll never forget uh, some time ago, I was coming home from Bowling Green, and actually I was at a WIC appointment. This was when Alicia and Amalia uh, were very young, and Alicia was uh, uh, at school, and Amalia was at home with me. No, I got that backwards. I'm sorry, Amalia was at school, and Aaron was about one, and he was with me. And we were coming back from the WIC appointment, and my van broke down on the side of the expressway. And uh, I had the stroller in the back of the van, and I was about, uh, it was about two miles from Perry Lake, and it was about 85 degrees outside, and I uh, didn't have anybody to call. Uh, and so I got the stroller out of the back of the van, and I prayed, Lord, just get us home safe. And I put Aaron in the stroller, and I took an apple with me, because that was the only thing I had that, was, that would constitute his food. And I took Aaron's uh, diaper bag and his bottle, and I put the stroller on the side of the road, and I began to jog down the side of the expressway, pushing the stroller in front of me. And I was praying, Lord, just get us home safe. And a, a man pulled over and stopped, and he was a city inspector, but he didn't, his car wasn't marked. He, that, that was his job, but he wasn't on the job at the time. And he said, do you need a ride somewhere? And I said, yes. And he said, we can put that stroller in the trunk, which we did, and it didn't quite shut, but we got it in there. And he gave me a ride back to Prairie Lake, where my other vehicle was sitting. And so I was able to get the parts that I needed and able to get the van taken care of and blah, 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 and everything. And I was praying, Lord, just get us home safe. And the Lord sent somebody to pick me up and take me home. Not, not a safe trip home, but somebody to pick me up and take me home, which cut the, mile, the two-mile jog down to like a mile and a half or so. Another time a car broke down and, I, and we were like stuck in the middle of the road and I had no, it was really early in the morning, it was like 7.15 in the morning, I was on Woodville Road and I had nobody to call. And I had my cell phone with me, I had nobody to call, 7.15 in the morning, Woodville Road, right down there by um, the gas station, right by Sun, what used to be called Sun Oil now, whatever it's called, the refinery anyway, Sunoco, I think that's the gas station. And I'm, I'm just past the gas station, my car broke down and and so I get out, and I'm going to push my car into the gas station. I said, all right, Lord, give me the strength. Give me the strength to get this into the gas station. And I'm 7.15 in the morning. Streets are empty. And all of a sudden, a car comes along, and this guy pulls over, and he stops in the turn lane, and he jumps out. and said, you need help getting that in the gas station? I said, well, yes, I do. And he jumped, he jumped, and we pushed it into the gas station. And I'm praying, Lord, just give me the strength to get into the gas station. And the Lord sent me a person to help me push it in the gas station. And then, ironically, he said, uh, do you believe in pay it forward, which is a thing, I don't know if you remember pay it forward, based on a movie. And I said, uh, yeah, I, it was really based on a, a true story, but then the movie came out and everybody started doing it. And I said, yeah, I believe in that, not even knowing about the movie. And I said, in fact, I'm a Christian. I follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and I try to help people all the time and things like that. And we I wound up talking to him about Jesus, and, and he was not a Christian, and he didn't accept Christ, but he did give me his little pay-it-forward bracelet so I could help somebody else later and give them the bracelet. And I was praying, Lord, just give me the strength to get in the gas station. And the Lord sent somebody, and we pushed it in the gas station. Another time, the car broke down, and it was also very early in the morning. This was like really early, like before 6 a.m. And I was afraid to call anybody. Sherry was at home, and it wouldn't have done me probably any good to call her. And, I, and so this was way back in the day, and I called 
I called Stuart, and I said, Lord, just somebody, who could I call? And the Lord put his name in my head. This is Sherry's grandfather, and he was really good with cars. And, this, and I said, Lord, put, give me somebody. Give me somebody to help me. Give me somebody. I need somebody to help me. And I knew it wasn't gas. I knew it wasn't anything simple. It was something major. And, um, and so I called Stuart, and sure enough, he was out of bed. And he answered the phone. This was a house phone, not his cell phone. He didn't have a cell phone. And he answered the phone, and he said, I'll be right there. And in like five minutes, he was right there. And, and we got the car started enough to get it off the road. And he said, it is not going to run. You're going to need a tow truck. And so I got it off the road. And God gave me exactly what I asked for, somebody to help me. So are you asking for exactly what you need when you're in trouble? Or um, are maybe you just asking God to do his will? That's the question. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to go to a unique place today and see a unique thing about the way God helps us and what we really should be asking for before we're through. All right? So it is Psalm 33. Amen. Amen. This is God's Word. Now, every bit of God's Word is useful for more than one purpose, right? As to, uh, Paul described to Timothy, um, this particular part of God word, God's Word could be used in a lot of different ways for a lot of different purposes, and we're going to hit several of those today. So Psalm 33, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 10. Now, before we're done, we have to hit one other fairly long passage of Scripture. So if I go too fast, I apologize, make a note. Or raise your hand if you don't understand something, and we'll, and we'll hit it more intentionally, okay? So Psalm 33, beginning in verse 10. This is what it says. It says, The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. In other words, if you make a plan, you figure out how it needs to be done, and you do it in your own strength or your own way or by your own intellect, or even if you use the giftings and skills that God has given you, Right? If it's your plan, God will break it. To nullify something is to make it useless. Okay? So if you make your plans, God will wipe them out. Now, if you make plans that honor God, that might be a completely different thing. But basically he's saying human plans come to naught. He frustrates, he intentionally frustrates the plans of the peoples. He says, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. I counsel that direction or wisdom from God. The vision would be the same kind of thing. The picture that God has given you and the direction that you should go, that stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. So understand that God has the way things should go. And if you are in line with the way God wants things to go, that will stand. And if you're not, it will not. Bottom line, that's what those two verses together say. Notice that he says his plans stand from generation to generation. We often think about like, okay, what should I do? Okay, I'm going to do that. I think it's what God would want me to do. And we go, maybe it works and maybe it doesn't. Like we, maybe it ends in martyrdom or it ends in a terrible accident or it ends in a terrible uh, financial situation or whatever. And you're like, oh, well, that, that didn't work. <laughs> that didn't work for me. You know, I, I did what I thought God wanted me to do and it didn't work. That's not the way what we're talking about. It says God's plans continue from generation to generation. Job went through a terrible trial and literally lost everything except the woman who would tell him to curse God and die, who was, was his wife. He lost everything but her. And in the worst moment of his life, in a pile of ashes, scraping the sores on his skin with a broken, bro, broken piece of a ceramic pot because it itched so bad and it burned so bad and it hurt, and he's trying to heal, 
and he's scraping open his own skin, and she says, just curse God and die. The only thing he didn't lose was that woman, and I submit to you, he never had her. Okay? And so the bottom line is, we see him later recover out of all of that, and he's more blessed than ever. God's plans succeed and continue from generation to generation, which means if you take them down to a moment in time, a microcosm, if you will, look at the minutest of things and ask yourself, did that work? You might say it didn't work because you don't understand the plan of God, the plan of God to take you through a moment in time that will strengthen you and make you a better person. God's plans succeed continue, will not be thwarted generation to generation. Over the span of your life, your, his plans will not be thwarted. In the short term, you might look at his plan and say, I don't like his plan. I don't think his plan works for me. And that would be a huge mistake because his plans are not thwarted generation to generation. It says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Well spoken of, receiving good things, taken care of is the nation, the people, the group. And we now know the kingdom of God is those who trust in the Lord through Jesus Christ, right? Through God through the Lord Jesus Christ. There we go. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. Blessed. Doesn't matter if you think you're blessed. If you are in that group of people, you are blessed. The Lord's plans will not be thwarted generation to generation. 13 says, the Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. God sees everything that's going on internally, externally. He understands the inner workings and weavings of everything that's going on with people everywhere. He is not mocked. We will get what we sow. We will reap what we sow. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of man. From his dwelling place he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all, in other words, God wove it together, God put you together intricately. He who understands all their works, listen here, and this is, this is where it really gets meaty. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. See, we think about the resources that God has put in our lives. You have strength, such as it is, whatever you have. You have intellect, such as it is, whatever you have. And we go, well, I've got a problem. I need a solution. We propose a solution, and we think the solution saves us. We enact the solution. We do it well. We manage our finances for retirement. We save for preparation for if our, something's wrong with our house. We learn skills so we can fix something when it goes bad. We discipline our children so that they will do well. The reality is, the psalmist is recognizing, it's none of those solutions that actually solve the problem. You can look at it and go, well, two warriors met in the street one day. One guy was six foot four and 420 and all muscle and had a short sword, heavy armor and a shield. The other guy was 5'2", skinny as a rail, had a dagger and leather armor and no skill whatsoever. They beat each other up, and guess what happened? The great big guy killed the little guy. And we might observe that, that when the great big guy kills the little guy, that he did it because he had the better armor, because he had a sword, because he was stronger, because he had more training, right? You might observe that and say, that guy was Definitely ready. That guy was definitely not ready. And so this guy trounced that guy. That just makes logical sense. Knights would go into battle on horseback 
and they would have heavy armor and swords. They would swing those long swords. When they would swing a long sword down like that, a man in leather armor or chain would literally be split in two, chopped right in half. Spear severed if you tried to parry, armor ripped wide open, destroyed in an instant by the swinging of that great heavy sword. And you might say, well, that's not fair. That knight, his armor, his training, his sword, that little guy coming against him, because of that, that knight, his training, his sword, his armor, his strength, his capabilities, of course that little guy was going to die. He stood no chance whatsoever. And the psalmist is saying, no, that's not how it actually works. You're observing it, yes. You're seeing it with your eyes. Reason would dictate that you're saved by your strength or your finances or a mighty army saves the king or whatever. But it's, that is not how it works. Behold, he says, verse 18, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness. God is looking on, and that means he's giving his attention to, and you could even say applying his resources to, to those who fear him, of those who hope for his loving kindness. Continuing the thought, to deliver their soul from death. He's hoping that they will, they will, hoping that he will do something. And it says his eye is on them to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. So in other words, he will give you the basic sustenance of what you need in this life, but really, his eye is on you for something so much grander, so much more than what you're currently dealing with. God's great plans that will not be frustrated from generation to generation do not include whether or not you have a dollar in your pocket. They do not include whether or not you can curl 20 pounds or 50. They do not include whether you will get beat the snot out of you by facing somebody who's way more powerful than you than or not. That's not God's great plan for you. God is aware of your circumstances. God does want to sustain you and continue you so you can continue his work, right? But he's not about making everything go right for you. His plan is much grander than that. And those who look to him for his loving kindness, he will deliver their soul from death. Verse 20 says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. So the, the shield's not the help, the sword's not the help, the muscle's not the help, the intellect's not the help, the solution is not the help. The guy who comes along to give you a ride, not the help. The mechanic, not the help. He is our help. For our heart rejoices in him. Except I submit to you that we actually rejoice in the help that we see. We rejoice in the solution that is provided. We call ourselves followers of the one true God, but we practice the same idolatry that idolaters practice because they pray to idols and say, help me idols, and there's no help. The little stone guy doesn't do a thing. Money doesn't do a thing. There's no help for your soul in idols. In fact, no idol ever changed the weather. No idol ever provided healing. No idol ever did anything. And yet they pray to the idols looking for that help. Then we pray to God looking for help. And then we give our gratitude to the help. And we declare the help as worthy. Strength is good. Money is good. Problem solving is good. Intellect is good. Spiritual gifts are good. We declare them as worthy of our praise when they are not. The giver, the creator, the God who sent the help that's the one that's worthy of the praise. We become worshipers of the good thing in this creation 
where they are worshipers of the supposed good thing, we become worshipers of the good thing in this creation just as they are. We get the help and then worship the help rather than the helper. And by that I don't mean the human helper. I mean the Lord God. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let Thy loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in Thee. But have you? Have you hoped in Him? Or have you hoped for some solution to your problem? Have you seen the solution that someone else found to a similar problem and hoped in that? Or have you hoped in God alone? Here is how we do it. This is typical and this is the reality. Number one, we look for grand gestures. Grand gestures is what gets our attention. We want miraculous interventions and sensationalism. That's what we want. I want God to show up in power. God, send the fire. God, heal my cancer, heal my pain, heal my woes and my hurts. Oh, Lord, if you'll save me from the artillery, I'll serve you for the rest of my days. We are like the man who was falling off the roof and he said, Lord, save me. I'm falling off the roof. It's a 20-foot fall. I'm surely going to break my neck. And as he fell off the roof, a little nail caught the belt loop on the back of his pants, and he's hanging there. And he says, Lord, don't worry about it. Nail caught me. Because that's the solution. And as long as the solution comes, we're okay. Why do you think it is that God sometimes has to send people to the darkest places of their life before they'll cry out to him? Because until they get to the darkest places, and mind you, this is from their perception, because it probably ain't the darkest place. But they go to the darkest place because until they get to the darkest place, they're not actually willing to cry out to God. They'll just cry out to anyone and everything else for a solution. We're looking for grand gestures. We've got to know that the God of heaven did something miraculous if we're going to believe, if we're going to trust Him, if we're going to look to Him for His loving kindness. That's a boatload of snot is what that is. You're looking for God to do something great? He's already done it. Many times over. But that's what people want, grand gestures. We want solutions that we see. And solutions we know will do what we want. But then even if and when we get those solutions... We should know those solutions are not what they appear to be. Listen to me. If you are poor, if you are weeping, if you are down in any way, shape, or form, you've been beaten, accept no solution except God Himself. In the early days of New Heights Fellowship, one of the many times that I've been there, I found myself at what I perceived to be a very dark place. I was in the sanctuary pre-chairs at, on, uh, two, on uh, 613 Main Street, the little building that we had over there. And we had laid the carpet, and Brother Tony and I had, uh, Brother Tony Brister, Deacon Tony Brister, had, and I had laid the carpet in that front room, and, and uh, it was brand new, and the room smelled like 
what is it, like acetone, you know, like an oil product because it was brand new and, and nothing had been in the room. We had cleaned the building and they painted and, and everything. So the paint smell was there and the carpet smell was there. And I was laying there. I was in the front room and, and I was telling God, I was like, I, I can't do this. I can't pastor a church. I can't lead people to you. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. And God was saying to me, he was comforting my soul. And he was saying, well, in me you can. And I can't. In me you can do that too. I can't do that. In me, you can do that too. And I realized that if I tried to do it on my own strength, I knew I was going to blow it up. I knew I was going to fail. I was going to stay the course. And so I, before I got saved, I literally quit everything but breathing. I have played three instruments and can't read a note. Because every time I could start to play just a little bit, I'm like, that's good enough, and I quit. I quit more sports, more instruments, more jobs, more everything. I just quit. I'm moving on. Leave it behind me. More tasks. And I knew if I did it in my own strength, I wouldn't be able to do it. And God was saying, but you're not going to do it in your own strength. You're going to do it in mine. But I knew in me there was doubt. I knew in me there was a, a tendency to latch onto the solution rather than onto God. And I just wasn't really ready to give it up. Just like, you know, Jacob wrestling with that stranger. And so I lay on the face, on my face in a sanctuary, on the new carpet, with a new carpet smell in my nose. And I said, honestly, God, I just don't want to. I don't want to do it in your strength. I don't know how. That sounds too hard. And I said, God, I'm not going to get up unless you get me up. That's it. If we start with that, right? In fact, I was thinking in my mind, I mean, the, this is where I was at. I'm like, I don't want to breathe another breath unless God breathes the breath for me. I don't want to study the Bible unless God studies the Bible through me. I don't want to preach unless God does that. I don't want to encourage people unless God does that. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to cash another paycheck or pay another bill unless God, that was my mentality. But I, literally what I said out loud into the carpet, as if there was nobody there except me and God. And I said, God, I'm not going to get up unless you get me up. I didn't say make me get up, because that could be dangerous, you know what I'm saying? But I said, unless you get me up. And in my mind, I had this image of a man dressed all in white, you know, you know, we get those pictures in the Bible, grabbing me by my arm and dragging me to my feet and saying, I said, get up and do what I told you to do, you know? And to this day, I look back at that day and I, don't, I never got up. I didn't bend my knee. You know how that is? And like back then, I was not as in good a physical shape as I am right now. This was a long time ago, but even then, I wasn't as good a physical shape as I am right now. And when I get, when it used to be when I'd get up, you know, bones and muscle ache. You know what I'm saying? And I weighed more than I should have. And I know, I'd have known if I got up. You know what I'm saying? But the next thing I know, I had this vision in my mind of him pulling me up. Like, like you're pulling somebody off. You're standing on a boat and you reach down in the water and grab them by their wrist and just by the sheer muscle and adrenaline, lift them up out of the water, sopping wet, and stand them on the boat. I had a picture of that person in white grabbing me by the wrist and picking me up and standing me there. And the next thing I know, I was standing up. And I really wanted to lay back down, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm like, that's pretty scary. I'm like, I wasn't quite done being down there yet, but that's a grand gesture. That's what we always want. 
We always want that flashy moment of God clarifying with absolute certainty everything that we believed was true is actually true. But look at what we just read. Look at what the Lord said. It says, the Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of earth. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all, he understands all their works. The king is not saved by a mighty, mighty army. Is a mighty army a grand gesture? Well, yes, indeed it is, because it isn't easy to gather a mighty army. Even no matter how much money you got, it isn't even easy to gather a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. Is great strength a grand gesture? Yeah, there's people in this room who are strong, way stronger than me, but would they consider themselves to have great strength? Or are we talking about bodybuilders and, and great warriors, power to do things? You know, are we, is any one of us, Elon Musk, going out to buy a $44 billion company? That's great strength financially. By, by, by his own profession, he's going to hell. And he knows it, but he doesn't understand how to change it. Interviewed on a Christian program, they asked him. They asked him to be saved. And he said, you know, well, if Jesus is saving people, then, you know, I'm not going to tell him no. But he doesn't know, he doesn't trust, he doesn't believe. He's got great strength. Do you have that? Do I have that? Is that what we need? Do we need Elon Musk's $44 billion in order to be able to trust that God is doing something for us? The fact is, yeah, that's what you need. That's what I need. I'd love to have it. If I had that, I'd believe in God, absolutely. That ain't the way it works. It's just not the way it works. You're feeling good, you're up because, hey, God's paying my bills right now, everything's taken care of. That's not the way it works. You don't get to be up when God is doing things and down when you think God is not doing things. That's not the way it works. You trust in the Lord. Seek His loving kindness daily and He will watch over you. He will do what it is that He's promised He would do. I have a video, a little short excerpt. Ron, would you hit the light for me? This is a video from a movie called Coach Carter. It is a good movie. It does have quite a bit of foul language. You'll notice that the verbiage in this is going to be slightly off from what they're talking. It looks like a Chinese movie or whatever, but it's because I had to cut one cuss word out. <laughs> so here we go. Really? 
is the reality. If you are looking for the loving kindness of the Lord, He is going to do things in your life. That's the reality. But is your faithfulness to Him contingent on those grand gestures? Is it contingent on miraculous interactions? Since when does winning and playing hard become not enough? Heaven literally is in store for us. Our souls are taken care of by the God of the universe. He sees your heart, which he wove together. He is making sure to seal it, to regenerate it, seal it, and carry it through for an eternity into his presence to worship and serve for an eternity in a perfect place with no tears, pain, or sorrow. And in the meantime, he has given us the right to serve as part of the ministry of reconciliation, to bring others to that same perfect eternal end. But that's not enough. What gives us the right to taint the game the way that God designed it? But you're looking for solutions. I get that, and God gets that. God recognizes that we are but dust. I suggest that we should trust Him. When I was quite young, I had nightmares every night. I, I was being chased by a man through dark hallways of a place that I had never seen. Night after night, I had these nightmares, and it, it really was affecting me. And My mom would come, and she would sit on the edge of my bed, and she would tap her knee like that, like a nervous person, which would rock my bed. And as long as I knew she was there, I would sleep lightly and not go into deep sleep, and I would not have the nightmare. But night after night after night, she got tired of coming to my bed. I got tired of never getting a good night's sleep. She got tired of me never getting a good night's sleep. You parents in the room can imagine how that was. Finally, my dad, who was rarely home when I went to bed, one night was home. And he came up and he was going to sit on the edge of my bed because my mom did it every night. And so he was going to do it for her that night to give her a break. And he asked me, so what is the problem, son? And I said, well, here's the problem, dad. And I don't want to tell him at first because, you know, nobody looks like to look cowardly in front of their dad. Finally, I told him, I said, well, here's the problem. I'm having this nightmare every night, and it's affecting my sleep, and, and, um, and I, I, I keep waiting for it to go away, and it's not going to go away. And, and he explained to me that we can have a certain amount of control in our dreams. Sometimes you can't control what else is going on, but you can usually control what you do, especially if you're you know, sleeping lightly, aware. And so I said, well, that's very interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. And he said, so try to go to sleep and just make the man go away, the person who's chasing you. I said, okay, I'll try it. So I went to sleep and <laughs> tried to make the man go away. He didn't go away. I'm like, well, that didn't work. So uh, I woke up crying. So now it's the middle of the night, like 1 o'clock in the morning. And, and uh, he comes up, and my, my dad comes up, and he says, what's going on, son? He said, you have that dream again? I said, yes, I did. And he said, he said well, did you try to make the man go away? And I said, yeah, I tried to make him go away, but he didn't go away. And he said, well, I told you, sometimes you can't affect the other things, but you should be able to affect you. I said, he said, so what is the man chasing you with? What does he have? And he said, well, I, I, I was thinking about it in my dream, and I'd never seen the man or what he had, but I, I remember seeing at one point a pointy shadow that looked kind of like a, porch, a pitchfork. And so I said, well, I think he's got like a pitchfork or something. He's got some kind of pointed thing. And he said, so the next time you go in your dream, you have something better to fight him with. And I said, okay. So I, so I went to sleep, and, and, uh, and in my dream, he had a pitchfork, and I don't remember exactly how it went down because it, it was several steps, but basically he had a pitchfork, and I had like a bow and arrow so I could shoot him from a distance, and I chased him off. And then he came again the next night, 
and he had a gun. I had a bow and arrow because I was already ready, you know, because he got with the pitchfork. I was just going to chase him off again. And he came the next night and he had a gun. I had a bow and arrow. He had a gun. I'm like, uh, so I was deathly afraid again. I'm running through the halls of the place and trying to get a shot at him. And he's shooting at me with a gun. So then I went to sleep the next night and I had like a sniper rifle or something I could shoot him from really far away with. And it just gone on. Ultimately, I had a tank. And he didn't have anything for the tank. And finally, I chased him away and he didn't come back. I submit to you that the solution to my problem was not the tank or the gun or the bow and arrow. It was my dad, my father, who loved me, explaining to me that I am in control. The next thing we're looking for that happens all the time is intimate interruptions. We want intimate relationship with God, don't we? We are, we are waiting, like our hearts are aching. We're like, Lord, come into me. Come, come caress me. Come make me feel taken care of. You know, with, uh, in relationship, there's this, there's this Bible study called uh, uh, His Needs, Her Needs. And so scientifically, they figured out that women want affection. So they want physical touch or, or, or a gift or something. They want to be um, treated with respect and love. And men want intimacy um, I can say it in here because we don't have any little people, sexual relations. That's generally how, and, people, and they feel valued. And it's not everybody. Some people are different. I get that. Some people want both and, and to a different degree. And I think everybody wants both. Like women want, sometimes want sexual relations, that kind of thing. But the bottom line is we, they have a way that they're going to feel loved. They have a way that they're going to feel intimately cared for. And we're like that with God. We're like, God, you've got to come to me the way I want you to come to me. I want you to come in my heart. Take care of me. Deal with my issues. We want genuine, personal, particular needs met, joy, lasting presence of God. That's what we want. But that's not exactly what we need. See, we're damaged goods. We've been hurt in a certain way. What happens a lot of times with people who are hurt in a certain way is they find somebody else who can give their way and they form a codependent relationship. And so now I'm not able to function unless my spouse does exactly for me what I need her to do in order for me to feel okay about myself. And she needs me to need her. So that's a perfectly good relationship as far as we're both concerned. But it's a perfectly unhealthy relationship. Because every time that person is not doing for me what exactly I need, I am not able. And I'm submitting to you today that in our desire for intimate interruptions and experiential joining together with God, we are becoming more like codependent. We say, if, as long as God will do this for me, as long as God gives me that feeling of comfort, He'll fill me up and He'll lift me up and He'll do this and that, then we'll do what it is that we're supposed to do. But that is not the way that God designed it. That is not the relationship. Yes, you're supposed to be dependent on God. But God is who he is, not who you need him to be. And the the truth is, it's not who you need him to be because God is who he is, and that's who you actually need him to be, but your perceptions are skewed. You're trying to make him be something that he's not. If you're following along in your Bible, you can go with me to Titus chapter 3. We're going to read a short passage of scripture there. Titus chapter 3. It's in the T's. 
I'm almost there. Okay, so Titus 3, and we're going to read beginning in verse 1. It says, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to obedient, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, that means not causing arguments, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified, that means found innocent, by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God may be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. You see, the process between you and God is not about God being exactly what you need him to be. God is exactly what you need him to be. And here's what you need him to be. You need him to be catalytic for change. You need him to be correcting you internally, building you up and providing you with spirit leadership, providing you with fruit of the Holy Spirit, which will then change who you are outwardly. You are not looking for a God who will meet you intimately and overcome your weaknesses and your needs internally. You are looking for a God who will change you completely on the inside, which will flow outwardly you doing works of righteousness, works of goodness, making a difference in the world. What people are doing is, I'm making a difference in the world, now where's my attaboy? I'm making a difference in the world, where's my pat on the back? I'm making a difference in the world, why do I feel empty? You feel empty because instead of going to God saying, change me in any way you see fit to be the thing that I am one day eternally going to be, and then out of that flows your activity, you're doing your activity and like an idolater waiting for that activity to be the solution to the feeling of emptiness that you have. And it's not going to work. Because nothing that happens out here as a solution will ever be the solution to the emptiness. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in man. Do you know how big that means the space inside you has to be? Think about it for a second. God is omnipresent. He is literally everywhere all the time. In all three persons of God, of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son are everywhere all the time. They all have that trait. So if the Holy Spirit is everywhere, then that means the Holy Spirit fills the entire existence of creation. The furthest star that you can see, which supposedly scientists believe, and I'm not supporting science here today, that it takes millions of years for the light from that star to reach the earth. That star, the Holy Spirit's there. He's everywhere. That's how big he is. And we have this notion that when he comes and takes up residence inside us, he somehow shrinks down to be very, very tiny. No. 
Or, well, he just sort of, he, it doesn't mean he fills me up. It means he like, he's in every bit of my fiber because he's everywhere, right? Then what is the purpose of them saying, of, of God saying that the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residency? That would mean nothing. If the Holy Spirit is in you just the same as it is in a leaf or a piece of bark, that means nothing. It says he comes and takes up residence in you. So how big does the space inside you have to be for the omnipresent, everywhere God the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of you in his totality? Big. (laughs) Bigger than everything. Bigger than everywhere you've ever been and everything you've ever seen, everything you've ever imagined. That's how big the space is inside of you. Have you ever tried to have a conversation with a friend from across a really big room? Hey, Ron, how you doing over there? 25 feet away and it echoes. Over there, there, there. Right? That's what it's like inside of you. You're looking for an intimate, personal relationship with God, and a personal relationship with God is available but you're looking for this intimate thing to take place inside of you where God builds up exactly what you want built up, just exactly the way you want it done. And what he wants to do is come in and fill every last nook and cranny of your being that's as big as everything he's ever created before inside you. And in there is your little desire to feel better about yourself. And it's infinitesimally small compared to what God is doing. The intimate interruptions that we're looking for, they too are nothing but idolatry. When Aaron was very, I'm sorry, when Alicia was very little, I had the opportunity to see a very strange thing for the first time ever in my life. It was made of plastic, and it was pink. It wasn't a hat, because you put it on your head, it was like this wide and this long. Not a, I'm not talking about like a cheese head. It was like this long and this wide. And it had like a little bed in it. And there was a little rubber plug on the bottom. If you pull the plug out, you could see right through. Like it's a hole. And I'm looking at this thing. I'm like, what the heck is that? It's a very strange thing. It's useless. And I, I felt it in the little rubber spot on the bottom. It was like a little grip. Like you put your hand in it. You could put your hand in it. Ooh, it doesn't move. It's weird. And then I noticed that you could set it on a ledge. It was designed to be set on a ledge. And I thought, well, you could use it like on a grocery cart. Maybe, maybe it's... And then it struck me. It's a baby bathtub. This is a bathtub for a baby. I'm like, what, is it? what do you need a bathtub for a baby for? Like, we, we have bathtubs literally in every house in America just about. Some only have showers. I get that. And so you, oh, God, maybe it's for a house that only has a shower. You want to put a baby in the shower when they're new. And then Sherry took Alicia, and she laid her in the baby bathtub with the, some warm water and a little soft rag and some soap, and she washed her up. And... She started to kick and play, and water was flying everywhere on the sink, on the counter, on the window behind the sink, on the floor. Like this little baby, which is like this long, kicking in the water, and the water's flying like six feet away. And then there was on the baby's belly a little piece of look like dead meat. It was the umbilical cord. Alicia was the only child that we had that I didn't cut the umbilical cord. Sorry about that, Leash. That wasn't a thing back then. And she had to put alcohol on it every day so it would dry up and fall off. And it did. And we bathed her. Like, not every day, every few days. I mean, it was a lot of cleanup (laughs) after bathing her. So it was like every few days we bathed her. But every day we treated the umbilical cord and it eventually fell off. 
listen to me. You've got this idea, we've got this idea that we need an intimate relationship with God. We were born again as Christians. And then God was treating our umbilical cord and bathing us. And he's teaching us again how to walk. And he's teaching us again how to eat. And he's teaching us again how to live. The intimate relationship that you wanted with God. If you're a follower of Lord Jesus Christ, you've already had it. You've already got it. And he's there every moment of every day adjusting things sustaining you, yes, going through hard times is part of that. Alicia did not like the end of the bath ever. Amalia didn't like the bath to start. Like you put her in the water and she was screaming like loud as can be, like a fire siren. And she didn't like it to start with. But it had to happen, right? Babies don't like getting their diaper changed. You got poop on their butt. It's left there. They get this nasty rash and they break out and they bleed and eventually you got to go get antibiotics and stuff for them because they get super sick from it. If you let that go, and they'll fight and kick, and they don't want their diaper changed. That's what it's like with God. You don't want, I don't want, in our flesh, in our non-Jesus man, we don't want to grow and advance and walk and stay away from dangerous things and embrace the good things of life that God really wants us to have. But God is doing exactly that, because really, compared to God, we're all babies. Babies just want the boob. It's all they really want for as long as they can get it. But they need baths and diapers and they eventually have to learn to eat solid food and like it or not, those intimate interruptions three o'clock in the morning where mom gets up and breastfeeds you, it's over. It's time to grow up in the Lord and do what it is that God has called us to do. The third thing that I want you to see in there, and then we're coming to the conclusion, and this has our last text. Oh, I apologize. Video number two. Hit the light. That's only five seconds. Sir, they can cut the chain off the door, but they can't make us play. We've decided we're going to finish what you started, sir. Yeah, so leave us be, coach. We do, sir. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were all meant to shine as children do. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same as we are liberated from our own fear. Our presence automatically liberates others. Sir, I just want to say thank you. You saved my life. Coach Carter, what they're talking about finishing is he requires them to be academically strong so they can potentially go on to college after high school. And they do, most of them, all the seniors did. Um, and when the town steps in and tells them to end the lockout, and he's leaving for the day, that's what he finds in the gym when he gets back there. 
they've decided that they will be academically strong. So the town can take it away from us. The town cannot believe in us. The town cannot make us continue, but we're going to continue. Here is the reality. There is a devastating deliverance coming. God has a plan for us in the moment of that devastating deliverance. If you're following along in your Bible, uh, flip to Isaiah 24, our last... Oh, it's not our last text for the day, I apologize, but it's getting close. Okay, Isaiah 24. <clears throat> I won't break it all down as we go through because it's lengthy, but listen. And this is what it says. Isaiah 24, verse 1. Behold, the Lord lays the earth waste, devastates it, distorts its surface, and scatters its inhabitants. And the people will be like the priest, the servant, like his master, the maid, like her mistress, the buyer, like the seller, the lender, like the borrower, the creditor, like the debtor. In other words, God is no respecter of persons. The earth will be completely laid waste and completely despoiled, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and withers, the world fades and withers. The exalted of the people of the earth fade away. The earth is also polluted by its inhabitants, for the, the, they transgressed laws, violated statutes, broke the everlasting covenant. Therefore a curse devours the earth, and those who live in it are held guilty. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. The new wine mourns, the wine decays, all the merry-hearted sigh. The gaiety of the tambourines ceases, the noise of revelers stops. The gaiety of the harp ceases, they do not drink wine with song. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The city of chaos is broken down, every house is shut up so that none may enter. There is an outcry in the streets concerning the wine. All joy turns to gloom. The gaiety of the earth is banished. Desolation is left in the city and the gate is battered to ruins. For thus it will be in the midst of the earth among the peoples as the shaking of an olive tree, as the gleaning when the grape harvest is over. They raise their voices, they shout for joy, they cry out from the west concerning the majesty of the Lord. Therefore, therefore glorify the Lord in the east, the name of the Lord, the God of Israel in the coastlands of the sea. From the ends of the earth we hear songs. Glory to the righteous one. But I say, woe to me, woe to me, alas for me. The treacherous deal treacherously, and the treacherous deal very treacherously. Terror and pit and snare confront you, O inhabitant of the earth. Then it will be that he who fly, flees the report of the disaster will fall into the pit, and he who climbs out of the pit will be caught in the snare. For the windows above are opened and the foundations of the earth shake. The earth is broken asunder. The earth is split through. The earth is shaken violently. The earth reels to and fro like a drunkard and it totters like a shack. For its transgression is heavy upon it and it will fall never to rise again. So it will happen in that day that the Lord will punish the host of heaven on high and the kings of the earth on the earth. And they will be gathered together like prisoners in the dungeon and will be confined in prison. And after many days they will be punished. Then the moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. O Lord, thou art my God, and I will exalt thee. I will give thee thanks to thy name, for thou hast worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. For thou hast made a city into a heap, a fortified city into a ruin. 
A palace of strangers is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, a strong people will glorify thee. Cities of ruthless nations will revere thee. For thou hast been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the, sh- the breath of the ruthless is like rains. I'm sorry, I say that again. For the breath of the ruthless is like rainstorm against a wall. That means it can do nothing. Like heat in drought, thou dost subdue the uproar of aliens. Like heat by the shadow of a cloud, the song of the ruthless is silenced. And the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. And on this mountain he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, and even the veil which is stretched out over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken, and it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited, that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on the mountain, and Moab will be trodden down in his place. As straw is trodden down in the water of a manure pile, and he will spread out his hands in the middle of it, as a swimmer spreads out his hands to swim. But the Lord will lay low his pride, together with the trickery of his hands, and the unassailable fortification of your walls, he will bring down, lay low, and cast to the ground, even to the dust. Listen to me, there is coming a devastating deliverance. Our salvation is the suffering of everyone who is not saved. I was sharing with a young believer this this week, and she said to me, she said, I'm hurting over those who will not go to heaven. There are people in my life whom I love, and they do not believe, and they will burn in hell for eternity. That's what you're telling me? And I said, why, yes, that's exactly true. There is a devastating deliverance coming. There may not be your version of intimate interruptions currently. There may not be your version of grand gestures currently. But ultimately, God is preparing you to be on the right side of a devastating deliverance. We will go up, and all who do not go up will go down. We will be built up, and all who do not get built up will be torn down. There is a devastating deliverance coming, and God is not trying to prepare you for your great comfort today. He is trying to prepare you for your great comfort for an eternity. Why are we put out? Why are we downcast? Why are we disappointed? Because there is a great deliverance coming, and it is a devastating deliverance for those who will not accept salvation by our God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the more they look for alternative sources, and I would submit to you, the more you look for alternative sources of sustenance, the more devastating that deliverance will be. There will be people who are weeping and gnashing of teeth. And depending on what you think that means exactly, I'm going to submit to you. It means there will be people who knew. There will be people who heard. There will be people who prayed. There will be people who sang. There will be people who gave. There will be people who served. And their works of righteousness were as filthy rags. And they will be devastated. And I don't want that to be me. And I don't want that to be you. And you don't want it to be you. And you don't want it to be anybody that you know that you love and care about. And if you hate somebody, you probably better start back over with you don't want it to be you. 
don't look for alternative sources of sustenance. Trust in the Lord God alone. The next time you think you're facing suffering or you're going through the most difficult spot, I submit to you, you ought to say to God, Lord, if this is where you want me to be right now, if you don't want me to cry out for help, if you don't want to ask me for want me to ask somebody for money or time or comfort or encouragement, if you want me to be in this place and you're doing something right now, then let me tarry here long. By the way, who was it that led Jesus Christ into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted? It was the Holy Spirit of God who led him there 40 days to be tempted. There is a devastating deliverance come. And when it comes, there will be those who will be devastated and there will be those who will be delivered. Which group do you want to be part of? Trust in the Lord God alone for your sustenance. You heard that man in the movie quote an interesting quote. It has oft been falsely attributed to Nelson Mandela, who is an incredible person if you ever want to look into his life. A man of peace, a professing Christian, president of Africa. This is the quote, but this is the quote the way it actually was. It was altered slightly for the movie. It says this, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It's our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. And then this part is so often left off. The quote is this. As we are liberated, that means set free, as we are liberated from our own fear, our presence, just being there, automatically liberates others. You are a child of God, able to do greatly and be great. Should you be awesome? Yes, you are awesome. You can be awesome. You can be freed up to be awesome. Remember that Holy Spirit that's in you that's remaking over everything on the inside? If your works of righteousness, that means the good stuff that you stored inside, you were as filthy rags, they've got to go. Now do something that really values as God works through you and in you to amazingly change the world around you. And yes, it's going to intimidate the people around you. You do so with reverence and respect. That was in Titus, Titus 3, what we read. But the bottom line is, you are going to become bigger than ever you thought you could be. You are going to become infe infectious to the world around you. That when you are set free to be the guy or the gal that God made you to be and God is working through you, you will literally transform every room you walk into, every conversation you partake of, every job you do. God is always there with you using everything that you experience to transform you into that which he is making you into be. And what is that? You are a child of God. You say, who am I? And the world says, no, not you. To be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, or fabulous. But God says, yes, you. If there's something wrong about you, something you know that God would want changed, 
change it. You're like, well, it's not that easy. Yes, it is exactly that easy. Take the thing that God has told you to get rid of out of your life and just get rid of it. If it's still inside you, it's taking up valuable space that the Holy Spirit is feeling cramped. He's like, man, I need the whole place. And you're like, well, you can have the whole place, but not that one room, because there I keep my stuff that doesn't honor God. And you wouldn't want to be in there anyway. And he's like, well, if you don't really want me around, no, 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 I want you here for those intimate interruptions. I just don't want you here making me into what God set me out to be. This is why people don't sometimes share the gospel. This is why people sometimes don't reach out. This is why people say, well, that's not really me. Listen to me. If there's something that God would have you to do, it's you. You recognize there's something God needs done, it's you. Because you recognize it. God wouldn't have let you recognize it. He didn't even let people recognize the gospel that he didn't want to get saved during Jesus' time on the earth. You think God would let you recognize something that you're supposed to do? Yes, he'll let you recognize it if you're supposed to do it. No, he will not let you recognize it if you're not supposed to do it. And you're like, well, I'm just call somebody and say, hey, can I do this? Yes, if that's their purview, you're going you're gonna to do something that's criminal or do something that would break a law normally, better get the law changed first because God says submit to authority. In the church, talk to the person whose purview it is, whatever. But if God has brought it to your attention, either they ought to run with it or you ought to run with it because being great for God is going to intimidate the people around us who are restraining themselves. Now, they may be doing it out of the kindness of their heart. I get it. You don't want to be loud. You're a naturally loud person, but you don't want to speak up because that loudness will intimidate somebody. But if you use your loudness for God, speak up and be what it is that you're supposed to be. Then when people see that, they'll go, hey, I can do what I'm supposed to do. We are not authorizing others because we're not authorizing ourselves. But there is a devastating deliverance coming. And if you are not willing to authorize yourself to be who it is that God has made you to be, you're going to wind up on the wrong side of that devastating deliverance. You can claim to be saved if you want, but not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will actually be saved but those who work the works of the Father in heaven. And he made you special. He created you and crafted you to do what only you can do in the place that you are. Why should everybody in the world prosper and you be held back? Because you're not good enough, not strong enough, not smart enough, not capable of... Those things are not the solution. Following God is the solution. Trusting in the Lord's everlasting kindness. Which brings us to our conclusion. From that same movie, I learned a lesson, and I, I looked at it in the Bible, um, and I'm going to use this illustration. I didn't, I didn't get the video out of the movie. It was too much challenge for me to cut it out of where it was. Um, but I, I'll ask this question for the sports guys in the room. Okay? So let's take football first. The coach comes out on the first day of practice, right? And he basically... He asks people what position they've played before, looks at their basic physique, tests their basic skills, right? Get, correct me if I get any of this wrong, right? Can somebody throw the ball, right? So let's assume for a minute you get 12 guys to come out, and that's only 12 guys. They're going to play Iron Man football because only 12 guys. You've got to play 11 on both sides of the ball, right? So you only got 12 guys on the team. And you discover that none of those 12 guys can throw a pass more than 10 feet that looks anything like that's not like a lame duck. So what kind of offense are you going to run? Okay, it's going to be a running offense most likely, right? Or pitch, 
a veer, something like that. If nobody, or you're going to train somebody to throw. Those are your only options. Or recruit somebody, right? You, so let's talk basketball, right? You go, and this is what happened in Coach Carter's team. He drilled them, suicides, 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 push-ups, suicides, push-ups, right? And then he said, here's what we do. We play, we run the whole time. Run the whole time. And there was one particular game where he's out, and at the end of the game, there's only two minutes left or whatever minute and a half left, and his guys were still energetic because they had done all that conditioning, but the other team, you could see they were exhausted. And he said, listen to me. They're exhausted. They're so exhausted. That's why he's going to miss that free throw. And then you're going to get the ball, and this is what you're going to do. Run, run, run. Play our game. Run. Run them into the ground. And they do. And they win because they're playing their game. And the other team can't keep up. Later, there's a game, game where they're against a very t tough team, and they're losing. They're down like almost 20 points. And he says, Here's what's, I'll tell you what's going on, what's wrong right now. You're playing their game. You're playing this game of basketball the way they play. They're great, and you want to play, and you're good, and you want to play the way they want to play. You want to do it their way, but you can't. You cannot play it their way. You've got to play it your way. So if you get back to playing it your way, we'll start scoring, and we'll stop their scoring, and we'll do what we're supposed to do. Play this game your way. Play it your way. So they do, and, and that story is based on a true story, by the way, and they win the game. So this is what I want to say to you. Play the game your way. And according to what we read in Scripture, that way is trusting the Lord for his loving kindness. Recognizing that the Lord is our solution. He is our peace. He is our hope. He is our capabilities, whatever they may be. Isaiah also wrote in Isaiah 30, verse 1, he said, Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan, but not mine, and make an alliance, but not of my spirit, in order to add sin to sin. Remember Isaiah 25, which we read, for he said, and this he said, For you have been a defense, talking about God, you have been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade for the heat, for the breath of the ruthless is like a rainstorm against a wall. I'm asking you today, what will you choose? Will you undyingly, unswervingly, unrelentingly serve the Lord God of heaven even when it makes absolutely no sense to you? Will you allow God free reign inside you to change you as he sees fit? I'm describing nothing less than Christianity, nothing less than being a follower of the Lord. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow after him. What the heck do you think that means? What do we think it means? It means exactly what I'm talking about. Work it his way or you're not working it at all. What will you choose? Whatever it is that God has wired you for, whatever it is God is making you into, whatever it is that God is leading you to, giving you the job to do, practice it. Get good at it. Stop trying to add on more things that other people think might be good for you and say, listen, I'm the Fatherhood Watchman team leader. You share encouragement with men, Christian men and lost men. The gospel starts it off, right? You've got to share the gospel with anybody who doesn't know it. Once they know it, you sh that's what you do. That's who you are. That's what God's called you to. I'm a preacher of the word. Sometimes I try to be creative. I have a creative side of me. I understand God wants me to do that. I tell stories, use videos, use pictures, use illustrations, pull people up out of their seats. That's who I am. And some people don't like it. But that's who I am and that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it for... God willing, 40 more years in this church or wherever God calls me to be. If you like it, you stick with it. You stay here with me. If you don't like it, go somewhere else where the guy will preach 20 minutes less long, won't make you feel nearly as convicted, and you'll probably enjoy it more. 
But this is who I am. And I'm going to be who I am in the Lord. I am what I am. And I'm not Popeye the sailor man. I'm Jesus's man. I'm God's child. Am I messed up? Heck yeah. But God is making me into something that will stand the test of time. I will overcome the devastating deliverance. I will exist beyond that in heaven. I will see people that I knew and loved and shared the gospel with go away from me into hell for an eternity. And then I will go up there and I will be sad for an instant when they go. But I will be compassionately treated for an eternity. He will wipe my tears away that my family members who would not listen to me when I shared the gospel with them didn't come. He will take care of that. I'm trusting him for that. And I'm going to exist on the other side of that devastating deliverance in a place where I desperately want to do, want to be. And how am I going to do that? I'm going to work his plan. Because why? Because his plan succeeds over generations. My plans, they don't even succeed in the moment most of the time. But sometimes they do. And when they do, they just lead me further away from God. Don't do it. Don't make your own plans. Consult His Word. His plans are all contained in here. And if you can't find a command in here to do something that you're doing, you might want to question whether you should be doing it or not. Now, if you can't find a command in here to say, stop doing something you're doing, then that means it's not sin. Unless you ask God and he says it is. Then you're putting something in the way between you and him. What way will you choose? Practice it. Get good at it. Till you can run with the big dogs. And play in your game. Run them into the ground. The alternative is you play the game of the enemy. And listen to me. You will lose. You cannot outrun, outthink, outswerve. You cannot avoid the ultimate suffering end if you go face to face with a demon that's been tempting people for a thousand years or thousands of years. You cannot win if you go face to face with that demon in your own strength. Now, he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. I get that. That means Satan himself, evil spirits, all the effort, the world's temptations, all that cannot stand against you if you're doing it God's way. But if you're doing it in your own strength, you will lose. They will run you into the ground now, and then when the time comes, they will take you to hell with them for an eternity. Or you can do it God's way. Which starts with, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and I now live for the one who died for me. And then you do that again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And you discover what your spiritual gifts are, your passion and what God has made you able to do in the kingdom. And you perfect it and you do it and you push forward. And you don't let the things of the world distract you, the things that look good. You don't let those things become your solutions. Man, I've always wanted to do this. Now I'm doing it. Feel good about myself. Welcome to Sin 101. All you've done is invite in demons because now they know. All they have to do is give you something that you always wanted and you'll feel fine even though you're not doing what God wants you to do. Practice it. Do it. You say, I've got a problem in my life that stops me from doing what God wants me to do. Something's holding me back. Give it to him right now. He said, but, but I can't. I've tried before. I've tried before. Are you waiting for a grand gesture? God's already done it. Are you waiting for an intimate, 
interruption, God has been doing it constantly. In fact, you can say he's doing it right now. He's been taking care of you from the moment you were a babe in Christ. Are you waiting for the devastating deliverance? Well, by that time, it'll be too late. I ask the praise team to come forward at this time. Lead us in a closing hymn. If you're here today and you cannot say with an absolute certainty that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, that means he says what you do and you do it. And you're saved. That means you paid the price for your sins and you've been forgiven. If you cannot say with certainty, 99% saved is 100% lost. If you cannot say with certainty, then right now, in your heart, right where you're sitting, right when you stand up, say, okay, God, I'm surrendering my life to you in earnest. I am preparing for that moment, that devastating deliverance. A sad moment, but at the same time, a glorious moment. If you're here today and say, I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know I have accepted Jesus as my Lord and I've done what he's told me to do. And I know I've accepted him as Savior. Now I'm asking you today to repent of looking for solutions and, and calling the solutions what they are. If you get a solution that's a gift from God that by no means makes that solution important, God is still the one who's important. If you're looking for solutions, stop. Look for Jesus. Look for God. Not solutions to your problems but more of God every day. And something else is on your heart. The Lord spoke to you and something went by quickly, but it touched you. And you say, I've got to say or I've got to do. And this is your opportunity to respond. So I'll ask you, if you're comfortable and able to do so, to stand with me and sing this song. Come on, Karina. Join the voice of that angel voice you have with us today. Let's sing this song. And if the Lord is speaking to your heart, then you respond to